Today's episode of The Pod Has Spoken on the Ringer Podcast Network is brought to you by World Central Kitchen. Their relief team is working across America to safely distribute individually packaged fresh meals in communities that need support. They're now serving tens of thousands of meals daily in some of our biggest cities like New York and LA, and they're launching initiatives across America to deliver fresh hot meals to hospitals and clinics fighting on the front lines while keeping local restaurants in business as well. You can directly help the heroes in hospitals and clinics who are fighting for us, and you can help keep your local restaurants alive. Go to theringer.com slash WCK to donate. We're trying to raise $250,000, and if you have the means, it's an unbelievably great and useful cause that helps our hospital heroes, emergency workers, and local restaurants. Please give whatever you can. The money goes directly to World Central Kitchen, and it's a charitable donation. Once again, that's theringer.com slash WCK. Welcome to The Pod Is Spoken, The Ringer's Survivor Recap Podcast. I'm Riley McAtee. I'm your host. Every Thursday, I'm here on The Ringer Dish feed to recap the latest episode of Survivor. Each pod, I'm joined by a different Ringer staffer. Today, it is somebody who I hope is not a double agent. It's Juliette Littman. I am a double agent. This is my this is my second reality TV or third reality TV podcast appearance of the week, but I think we'll be able to make it through. Well, if you play like Tony and you... It, decide to double cross me, but then triple cross me, which means you actually align with me, I think is how that works. Then I, yes. I think we'll be all good. Can we, can you, you're going to get get into it, but can you break down exactly the sequence of events that happened that led to Tony's major power play at tribal? Because I was like, I watched twice and I was like, wait, what? I feel like there's just it, some like things flipped really quickly. So I was thinking it'd be helpful for me as a less uh, experienced fan to like, go through beat by beat how he pulled off the absolute blind side of Sophie. Yeah, so let's break it all down. We're going we're gonna to break down the entire episode 11 of Winners at War. This was the best episode of the season, I think, pretty much hands down. Um, and so we'll start with, we call our first segment Tribal Council, which is our instant reactions to the episode. Wonderful. There is a lot to break down here. So basically, after last week, last week was kind of this chaotic edit where it wasn't really clear where the lines were drawn. This week, it was a lot more clear. You had on one side, you had Sophie, Sarah, Ben, Nick, and Tony. And then, and they are in the majority of this nine-person merged tribe. And in the minority, you basically have Kim, Denise, and Jeremy and Michelle. And Tony's actually kind of playing the middle here, although he made it clear in the beginning of the episode, his real alliance is with that that former group, that majority. Um, Kim, to her credit, sniffs out that Tony is not being real with them. And so she flips over to the majority. So now you basically just have Jeremy and Michelle alone because Kim and Denise flip over and they decide even though we don't want to do it, our best move is to target Jeremy. And it's after that group of seven decide, okay, our best bet is to split the votes. We'll put five on Jeremy, two on Michelle, just to protect us in the event that there's an idol, that Tony realizes, ding, he can actually pull him and Nick with Jeremy and Michelle. And even though they'll only have four votes on a tribe of nine, if the other alliance is splitting it three, two, he can get out 
anybody he wants. And even though he spent the beginning of the episode saying he really wanted Jeremy out, he decides a bigger move for him and maybe a better move for him is to get Sophie out in what is probably, I mean, they call every vote a blindside now, but there was no indication that Sophie was in any danger at all until None. basically minutes before tribal. She had no chance to to sniff out that she might be in danger, that she should play her idol. And so it goes down as an iconic blindside where they didn't even have the majority of the votes. It's a plurality, 4-3-2 vote out. I mean, it is like, for me, this is just so, so <laughs> Doesn't much get fun. any better. Oh my God, I'm really I happy for it. you, Riley. Anytime you can engineer a vote out when you don't even have the numbers, it's you're doing something just so right. It is such a rare move in Survivor. This was masterful. We should note that Riley is wearing a buff today. In celebration of this of this episode, he's wearing his winners at war buff. My my girlfriend got me the merge buff for this season. This is the only buff I own. I'm not one of those people that has like a buff collection, at least not yet. And I've been using it a little bit for as actually like a uh, a facial covering for when I'm out walking outside or going getting groceries or whatever. Um, what's the material like? It's kind of, it's kind of stretchy. It's um thin, but it it's so long that you can fold it over and over and over wow. a bunch of times. And so um, it actually gets kind of warm. I can see like why people use it. Like they put it over like their whole face when it's like really cold or rainy out there or whatever. I mean, it, I don't know. It's kind of nice. I've been wearing it as a headband mostly and just sort of to keep my like uncut hair in check right now. Um, and it's great. Yeah, I don't know. I'm using it a lot more than I, I really thought it would. Uh, well, it looks it looks great. I just can, it's a real a sign of your enthusiasm. I mean, it's pr- it's pretty amazing. I I just gonna be honest. I do not like Tony. I understand he's a great player, and now he's instantly iconic. But I do not like him. So like, I would be fine with him winning. I like recognize that he's like a good character, but like, I'm not like yeah, I love that guy. Let's let's all rally behind him. I actually can't believe he's as tolerated as he is. He seems so annoying to me. Oh my god. I I I like love Tony so much. I mean, what if do he you wins love this about season, him other than his gameplay, which is which is like, you know, provocative and obviously successful right now. I find him to be a really unique type of character, which is that he plays with all of this chaos and yet his game is really built on a foundation of his ability to read the field. And he usually has a very good read on what's happening. So I find him to be one of the smartest players out there. He's also very good at building bonds with people where he's social and he's just hilarious. I mean, he's just funny to watch that in his of itself is what's so appealing about him. Even if he were like a bad player, he would still be entertaining, but he's a great player and he's entertaining. I think his, I don't, I, in general, the chaos agents, I don't gravitate towards on Survivor. Like he reminds me of like the next generation, way less evil and way smarter than Russell Hans. But that's like sort of like his predecessor. And the chaos agents are just like, they're, they're too much for me because I, I'm like, that's why I couldn't be on Survivor. The anxiety would be way, way too much. Not to mention all the sleeping outside and being hungry all the time. I would be an absolute nightmare, but because of because of the chaos he sows and but in a way that's obviously very successful like he it's a controlled chaos coordinated chaos um but like just as like in terms of who you like like just for the popularity vote i would never pick him so i feel a little mixed about him being so successful because i'm like he's not my guy but i i also respect it and i i see what he's doing it's very impressive i mean he had three i mean even before the blind side i mean he found the immunity idol he won immunity and he, of course, got the extortion uh, 
what whatever it is the extortion advantage is that what they are calling it the dis the disadvantage i i just like that he was so giddy and excited to use it when he thought it was something that he could play and then the moment he realizes played against him he's like oh this is disgusting this should be illegal this is wrong <laughs> it was interesting so for you what did you think about the like the advantage coming out of the edge being basically something to so um disorder it worked really well for this episode because it got the perfect player to scramble, which is Tony. And as I was kind of saying, you know, he's really good at building social bonds. It's sort of underrated part of his game. And he was able to go to different people from different alliances and immediately get the fire tokens that he needed to pay off that debt. So it worked for the episode. But philosophically, I think I'm opposed to it because I don't think that people who are voted out from the game should be able to just blow up someone else's game tony has never in this in in this season or in any season played with natalie and parvati they've never been on the same tribe so he doesn't even know them they picked him based on his reputation that was a really cool moment and also the editing was really cool like they made it the way it was put together was really well done also i think one thing about this episode being so notable the editing was so different than usual um like the way they brought it yeah, the way they brought in music for the fashion show, the way they did a lot of kind of simultaneous storylines. It was a real flex by the editors of the show being like, we can do other stuff too. I, I thought that was really cool. I hope they get the credit for it too. Yeah, and so I saw online, I'm, I'm not really able to totally fact check and confirm this, but I saw that Tony broke the record for the number of confessionals yeah. in an episode, which includes finale episodes, like double length episodes, you know, so this in just 43 minutes, he had 18 confessionals people counted which is insane and normally i'd be like you know what i hate that i don't want the entire season or even one episode to focus only on one player but he was at the center of every single thing that happened in this episode that it worked it told a coherent story um you knew where the lines were drawn going into tribal there was drama there was tension this was the best edited episode of the season i think Oh, definitely. And the funny thing is you still heard from a lot of other people, like just off the top of my head, there was Jeremy, there was Kim, there was Sarah, there was Sophie. They, they, this episode covered so much and it didn't, but it didn't feel um, frantic. It's just, it was just funny because Tony is so frantic. The one thing I would have wanted is I wish that we had kind of heard from Nick. He didn't get any confessionals and he sort of, he found Tony hunting for the idol and he was the first person that Tony had to secure Nick's vote, you know, to make this plan to vote out Sophie happen. So surely Nick has thoughts about all of this. You know, Nick is aligned with people. We didn't get to hear Nick. So that's kind of like the one nitpick that I had. But otherwise, it also felt like this episode set up a lot for whatever the end game is going to be. Kim versus Tony, Sarah feeling betrayed by Tony, Tony's game in general, his idol. It, it really feels like this is kind of a, an inflection point in the season. Um, I'm glad you brought up Kim. I now think she's going to the final, like hands to, based on the, tonight's episode, the way that she was positioned, um, the fact that she's still here, the fact that she's so well liked, I, I, and also the way that, in, I also don't like to read too much into the edit, but just the way that she was positioned based on the storylines, and how she's being really strategic now. I think it's going to, I think I wouldn't be surprised if it was a Tony versus Kim final. That would be great. I mean, there's, that's definitely what's so interesting to me is, you know, Kim played one of the most impressive seasons ever, although with a bunch of ding dongs. So she kind of gets some people put like an asterisk next to her. And they're like, well, what would happen if she played with people who are actually very good at survivor? And it's clear that, 
she has the best read on this game, arguably out of anybody out there, because she's the one who sniffs out immediately that Tony is not actually aligned with Jeremy and Michelle and Kim and Denise, as he says. But Jeremy or or Tony's like double flip in this episode means it'll be impossible for her to convince Jeremy of that because Tony just saved Jeremy. It really it's like she's in a really tough spot. Right. So she has to maneuver a lot and people just have to trust her more than anything else. Yeah, I think I'm really fascinated in kind of how that sort of head to head duel will go down, especially because they're such opposite players. Right. Tony, frantic, chaotic, as we've been saying, Kim is like very precise and subdued you know she kind of like sees something and she's methodical and moves she's just the opposite of tony and she moves so slow compared to tony she moves so slowly you know right and i don't think that she did anything wrong in this episode by realizing she was out of the numbers and so trying to go get in the majority so that she can last a little bit longer into this game even if it's people that she doesn't trust she had the right read it's just there's no preparing for Tony flip-flopping three times and, I don't know, pulling off one of the most miraculous blindsides ever. And it's the second week in a row she had the right read, but was just a little bit off. Like, if she had given... If she protected Denise last week, if she had given it to Tyson, which she said she considered, we'd be in a totally different spot right now, right? Like, a lot of things are kind of hinging on small, very small decisions right now in the last two weeks. So small decisions are both coming from Kim. Which is like pretty notable. I, I underestimated her. I didn't think that she'd be this um, powerful. Last week's vote was so weird because I think if she gives the idol to Tyson, I think it might have been then Denise that goes home because I think it would have been a tie and then gone to a revote. But I also, I was never really clear on how the votes actually played out at that tribal because I thought that the the group of five that actually had six votes thanks to Sarah's vote steal would have done a 3-3 split and then they didn't and then Michelle flipped that I don't know last episode was so chaotic and very hard to make sense of um but Kim has been a late riser she had a really quiet merge and now she's making a lot of important decisions late in the game I'm glad to see her rising I like it I will we'll continue to talk about Tony I think throughout this podcast but we can also talk yeah. about Sophie who yeah, Sophie also is someone big I, whiff didn't, I don't think she did anything wrong, though. You know, it's like I, there was no way to know that she was even remotely in danger and should have played her idol. Yeah, I think that she got a little comfortable. I, I don't have like a lot of like evidence towards that, but she never seen. And I think part of her game is also she said she said this is to show the people she's aligned with that she trusts them and to not like double double guess every or second guess everything or every time someone leaves the camp to like follow them like she tries to play calm that's what she does and so that definitely came across but I, I think in general she just got a little bit too comfortable and wasn't like she stopped like gaming out every possible situation although this was definitely a hard one to account for and that's why it was like so impressive but I do think that um she she probably underestimated Tony a little bit and as a result like got got complacent the only yeah the only kind of quibble I have with her and really the entire majority in this episode is that anytime you split the votes you give everybody that you're splitting with a lot of power to flip. Oftentimes it's only one person that needs to flip. In this case, it was two people that needed to flip. So you're making yourself very vulnerable. And when Tony has immunity, when has the immunity necklace and he's basically unable to go home, that allows him to be super aggressive. Like he, he might not make that move if he doesn't have the necklace around his neck, because if it blows up in his face, it could come back and hit him. And so if you're Sophie, 
and you have the idol, even though not everyone knows that, it's in your best interest to not really split the votes. If they had just put seven votes on Jeremy, what would have happened would have been, Tony would have had to pull way more people onto his side, which was not possible. Or Jeremy plays an idol, which he doesn't have, but Sophie doesn't know that. In which case, if if an idol does get played on Jeremy, then Sophie knows to play an idol on herself and she's safe. So splitting the votes was the thing that actually made her vulnerable. I don't know how you convince your alliance. So oh, I don't want to I don't want to split the votes without it revealing that you sort of have an idol or that something funky is going on. It just would have been out of her nature to kind of play that hard for a, a scenario that has a, such a minuscule chance of happening except Tony made it happen. Right. And then the other thing is that she does play her idol and let's say she should she did and she saved herself. It would have totally blown up her game, right? Like it would have changed the way that she approached everything. Like she's almost one of the worst people to have an idol because she plays, she relies so much on the social game and the strategy she's laid out that to do anything like what Jeremy had done last week when he does the, um, immunity without power, like to, to pull any of those moves, I feel like betrays her game a little bit. And so she probably is also sitting on the idol waiting until later, not only because she didn't think she needed it, but because it's such like a big move and it's not the kind of thing that she's known for. Yeah, I mean, her whole game is basically to play under the radar. Uh, you know, she was the player that Tyson forgot earlier in this season when he was counting the under the radar uh, players. He, he couldn't remember her name in a confessional. You know, she just had no reason to play that idol. Yeah, and we talk, and they talk so much in this episode about knowing when to make the right move. And it was Sophie that was like, "Oh, you don't want to be the annoying girl that's just padding her resume just to pad the resume." Um. I don't know. She didn't really have a reason to make a big move this episode. So it's like maybe she got complacent or maybe she just became the victim of Tony going full chaos agent. And I just don't know. I don't know what you could do differently. She, uh, the scariest moment for Sophie is when she was having her torch snuffed and she almost lit lit her hair on fire. I was like, holy shit. Did she just put that on against her head? But she didn't, fortunately. And then she, um, and then she also had like an iconic line where she was like, well, at least I can Mallory pointed this out in our Slack where she was like, at least I can take this idol out of my crotch now. Yeah, that was great. There are, there are a bunch of people left. I think there are five still left that have never been voted out. It's only Tony, Jeremy and Sarah that have been Kim, Nick, Denise, Ben and Michelle have never been voted out. And so I don't know, we'll probably get another moment like that where someone's like, uh, you know, like I don't really even know which way to walk at tribal when I'm getting voted out, which is like atypical on returning seasons. You know, normally people have been voted out before. It's kind of weird that we have so many that have basically never played a game of survivor where they've not won at the end. I know it is. It's pretty, it's, it's funny to watch like all these people, they think they haven't figured out cause they've gone far and they've all won. And then to see them, you know, be outplayed. I think they're all genuinely surprised when it happens unless like the writing's on the wall. But I think like for Sony, so he was general, genuinely surprised. I just like want to say, I know we talked about it last time I was on. I'm just anti fire token. I just feel like they are um, confusing and like Tony uh, like got like bartered basically to get a bunch, you know, with people with, as it related to his advantage. I just feel like they're overly complicated and I, I'm not sure they're actually worth it. So I'm still kind of, intrigued by the idea of fire tokens in that I think that you can adjust maybe the economy a little bit, like the supply and demand a little bit to to balance them a little bit. What I really don't like is this idea of 
players winning an immunity challenge and winning fire tokens with it and then that somehow putting a target on their back like if there's any downside to winning an immunity challenge it's that players will say oh they're a physical threat we have to get them out the next time they lose it shouldn't also be they have fire tokens so we want to get them out or they have fire tokens so we're going to put this extortion advantage on them right if tony hadn't won immunity in the last episode he would have had only one token and even though he's the the crazy chaos agent they probably think, yeah, you know, we can put it on somebody else who we think has tokens. It just kind of sucks. That it's like, okay, winning an individual immunity is a- almost coming with so many negatives that it's almost not worth it. Like, it's still worth it, but I just don't like that it comes with baggage now. So there's like, there's a lot of ways I think they can be adjusted to be better, but I'm kind of like, ah, oh, well, it's promising. I think that you guys can keep playing around with it some. Yeah. They're just like, to me, it reminds me of season one of Are You the One, where the truth booth was too confusing with the iPads and everything. It's like, you've got a good idea here, but we, you haven't landed on it yet. <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. What, is, what are the iPads and Are You the One? And Are You the One, you have to like find your match within the house. And so you'd go into this booth called the truth booth, and there'd be like an iPad that you had to use to like get it started, to like find out if you were a match. I can't even explain it because it's confusing. They've, they've figured it out since. But it's like when they introduce these sort of these gimmicks in the beginning of a reality show, it's like obviously in the room, the producers are like, yes, great idea. That's totally going to work. And then in practice, it's a little wonky and they have to like keep tweaking it like in in the next seasons to make sure it actually does work. Kind of feels like the type of thing if they were going to do fire tokens, they should have introduced it a few seasons ago to get it polished and ready for the big all winners season instead of just jumping into it on all winners yeah totally but it's still good i have to say i i miss i'm so happy for that the edge is around because i i think like parvati is still some of the best parts of the show like she's just so charismatic and so good on television that though i have problems with the edge a i'm hoping someone from the edge wins and b i like seeing parvati in particular yeah, I think that Parvati is a really good chance of coming back too because she's kind of underrated in challenges. If they do a mm-hmm. sort of like endurance type challenge, she's a good one. Sophie actually now is a good one. She's very good at challenges, good at puzzles, good at endurance stuff. Um, the other thing is, I don't know if you're watching the secret scenes that they put on CBS.com after the episodes. I, I am not. Tell they've, me about it. They've had a few good ones. Um, this week they had, they had one with Kim and Sarah where they talk about like the toll that the game takes on you as a person because you feel like you compromise your integrity to get ahead in the game that was actually really interesting and then they had one with yule and parvati where yule and parvati kind of talk about the perspective that you gain out there of just being able to kind of take a step back from life and like reevaluate everything and you don't you know when you're out on the island you don't wake up in the morning and immediately reach for your cell phone or start your work day or, you know, fire up Twitter. And it's kind of, it was interesting. It was more about Yule than Parvati, but it was Yule being like, you know, I wasn't really expecting to like reevaluate or like find myself or like go on a journey out here. But then he kind of admits that that happened to him anyways. And the family visit was a big part of that for him. They're putting good stuff online and it's just another reason we said, we said it a million times, but it's like make the episodes longer and just put all this stuff in the episode. Um, I love you all. What yeah. a great guy. I got to check that out, Riley. <laughs> yeah, there's good, there's good stuff from The Edge a lot of times on the secret scenes and a lot of times with Parvati and with Rob and like basically all of these favorites that we're kind of happy to have The Edge to have them around. It, it's particularly good to have The Edge for the fan favorites when like if they're not going to be in the game, like let's get them involved somehow. The other thing about The Edge, though, see what I don't like is talking about players who are like out of the game, though, like even though it's like, oh, I love Rob and Parvati. Um, I just always want to get back to the main game. So totally. I guess 
I guess we should discuss whether Tony actually made a good move this episode or just or if the move was only really good for television because he kept saying, oh, Sarah is my real alliance. This group is my real alliance. But then he betrays them all. And so now it's an eight person tribe. Theoretically, he's got four people because he probably has Jeremy, Michelle and Nick locked up. Definitely will have Jeremy locked up, I think, because he just saved him. But Sarah in the preview for next week is like, you know, I'm done with you. You betrayed me, which makes sense. And I just don't know. I'm like, how is how is Tony supposed to do damage control here? First of all, that's on Sarah. She should know that she couldn't completely trust Tony. Like, you know, this is not his first time playing. There's plenty of evidence that suggests that his word is maybe not as strong as she believes it to be. So I'm going to say that's on her. I think that ultimately this just opens the game up for everyone. It's not necessarily that it's bad for him, but it's just an opportunity for all these alliances to be shaken up because obviously Sarah and Tony are now, um, you know, no longer the, the duo that, we thought they were. There's opportunity for Kim to maneuver. I think someone like Denise, like she, I, I think people like are likely to trust her and she's super under the radar right now, but she is a, a big threat, I think. And so I just think he opened the game up for everyone and not necessarily like um, hurt himself. Cause like who would be surprised? Like the reason Parvati and Natalie without knowing him selected him for the extortion advantage is because he's known to be uh, like a wild player. And so this, what he did was really impressive, though not surprising to me. So I just think that it's now kind of, it's like a reset for everyone. So it, it, it hurts him, but moreover, he hurt himself by having to like defend this, but moreover, it just resets the landscape. Like anything could happen. I'm really amazed that anybody kind of trusted him at all or even let him make the merge. I really thought we'd get like another game changers type of season for Tony, which is he went out in the second episode because why would you ever want to play with Tony? Like just, you never want to play with somebody you can't trust, or even if you can't trust them, you just can't predict what they're going to do. And this is exactly why, because you end up being Sophie and going home when you have no idea. And for seemingly almost no reason. Yeah. I, I think that he'll have to apologize, but I think it's more going to just be like a realignment. That's like, that. that's how I see it. Essentially. What do you think? I guess I'm, I guess I'm just like, I don't believe that it's typically a good strategy to, keep your allies in the dark and blindside them and betray them um, because eventually you're just, you will have no one left and they'll get you out. And especially somebody like Tony who is never going to be a like, Oh, he's just a goat going into the final three. He blew up his game. No one respects him. If he gets the final three, he's winning. No one should ever want to sit next to him. So it makes sense for basically every single person on that island to get Tony out. I can't imagine why anyone would be like, nope, I trust him. Unless you're Jeremy and you're like, he's my meat shield and he saved me. But that's one person. You need more than that. I don't love the move. I don't know. And I think compared to Jeremy at the end, Jeremy has a way better case for like, hey, I played a really good game because I actually didn't align with anyone. Like he's been playing a solo game this whole time. And you don't really have to defend that when it's obvious. And I think it is obvious. Like the way that he left... um, tribal last week and his like sort of, you know, he, him wanting to protect Wendell, but like not that aggressively like Jeremy's kind of, I mean, what with Natalie leaving first, he was a real free agent and he's remained that way. I think so. I, I think Jeremy would be really scary to sit next to because he doesn't, he didn't though he's playing for himself. He hasn't really angered anyone along the way. I don't know if you caught that Jeremy was just staring daggers at Ben during this this tribal. And that was, I think, partially because 
one, he, he, as he says, he's like really annoyed by Ben, but it was, Ben was involved in the Natalie vote out all the way back in the first episode. And this was like, finally, Jeremy kind of getting revenge, even though he never explicitly stated that. And then Ben was so shocked at the end. I I loved it. That was great. uh, Great face for TV. (laughs) It was pretty funny. Yeah. Yeah. It was great. I think that, so the thing is, is I feel like Tony is now navigating this minefield where it's going to be so hard for him to get people that he can trust or vote with. Obviously, as an idol that no one knows about, he might have to play that as soon as the next tribal council and then maybe go idol hunting again or win another immunity challenge, which historically he hasn't been good at, but suddenly he's on a tear. Um, but what I guess it's like the only reason I think that he might be able to navigate this stuff is because he's Tony and that's what he spent all of Kagayan doing. He's basically just able to like make these seemingly unbreakable bonds where he swears on like his family and stuff and then break them and then still do the damage control. So I wouldn't be surprised if by the end of next episode, Sarah is somehow convinced that like, actually, I can trust Tony again, which makes no sense. No one should be able to pull it off except Tony somehow does. Right. Yeah, I I think he's also a real challenge threat. I mean, these sort of like hybrid endurance athleticism challenges, he's obviously good at. I mean, the last two have been straightforward, but hard, and he's done a good job. Yeah, I always thought that he just wasn't actually athletic. He was just like a dude who lifts a lot of weights. And now I'm having to reevaluate that because he was he's typically been, I don't know, pretty mediocre in challenges. I mean, he never won until last episode. I think that he's like agile. Apparently, he's he's good at like standing in place now too and like doing doing the endurance stuff. I don't know. At the beginning of this episode, you kind of got the gears in my head turning, which is that a player like Tony, I think will actually kind of be like Parvati in one very specific way, which is that since Parvati won Micronesia and was so great on Heroes versus Villains and became the kind of legend that she is, I think almost every season, every newbie season at least, you get a survivor uh, contestant who says, oh, I'm going to be the next Parvati. I'm going to be Parvati 2.0. And that player typically fails because they don't really understand how Parvati plays. They're like, I'm going to be diabolical. I'm going to flirt with people and get all these guys on my side. and, And it never works. And I would imagine that in the next like 10 years, we're going to get a bunch of dudes who are going to be like, I'm going to be the next Tony. I'm going to create chaos and I'm going to use that to climb the ladder to the top. And what's going to happen is they're just going to blow up on like day three and get voted out very quickly because Tony's game is such a high wire act to walk. And and I I just, it's going to be fascinating to see the ripple effects of Tony on further Survivor season. Yeah, I know. And what he's doing is really hard to do. It should come with a disclaimer of uh, do do not do this at home or do not try this at home because it's really hard. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like if I I would never play like Tony, no one should ever try to intentionally play like Tony because for the vast majority of players, if you try and make a move this big, it's your downfall. So many players are like, I need to make the big move and then it becomes their downfall. Tony somehow makes a move that's 10 times bigger than anyone else's and he does it like every third episode and he he makes it out and it's because he's just, we've never seen anybody like this before. His talent for doing damage control and controlling chaos, it's completely unmatched. The other thing that he does, this is not really related to gameplay, but I just like can't, can't stop thinking about is how he runs 
full full speed ahead. Yes. To, and then just like stops. Like when he gets to the clearing, he just like stops. It's like a baseball player running to home, basically. Just like trying to get there and stopping and collapsing, essentially. And he's a it's real such a maniac. Re- it's a really weird move. And like when he was running with his bag to see what the um, extortion advantage was, I was just like, why is he running like that? Is he trying to like break down a wall? Does he have to run through a brick wall? It's like a video game character. I'm amazed that he has that energy out there because one of the things that seems to come up over and over again is that people are just tired on Survivor because of course they are. And then it's just the way he runs too is kind of like him, chaotic and uncoordinated. And he just... I don't know. I'm, I'm amazed that people don't notice it more. They're not like sitting in camp and they suddenly just hear somebody like crashing through the woods and they go, oh my God, Tony found an advantage or is doing something. I know you think you would hear him like rustling all of the plants and when he's like hiding in weird places. He's a really weird guy. It just shows you when you're when you're just super weird to begin with, you uh, you get away with a lot of stuff because people are just like, that's just Tony. He is so, so paranoid, too. Like, when he was reading the advantage, he just kept looking over his shoulder. He, like, could not help it over and over and over again, looking over his shoulder. And even in the last episode, when he had the immunity necklace and Jeremy went to play the advantage, Tony was like, oh, that's not, uh, you know, an immunity necklace nullifier. And it was kind of a joke, but you could tell that Tony was actually nervous about it. There was a moment, I'm sure, where there were, like, butterflies in his stomach because he just cannot help his mind from racing. I mean, it must, I don't know, it he's just so he's such a lunatic he, he really is i hope i've convinced you that uh that he's not actually like annoying and he's like a great character or something because i just can't believe that i don't know anyone wouldn't love tony i love him so much <laughs> well i as i think you can probably tell now i appreciate him and i respect him but i'm just not a fan who uh, uh of the players who are left who are you a big fan of i'm all in on jeremy all in love that smile great family man loved his family last week I'm rooting for Jeremy or Kim. That's who I would like to win. One of those two. I love both of them. They would be they would be great. She just is like relatable. She's a hashtag relatable. Hashtag survivor goals. Just like a, a, a nice woman playing the game her own way. She's like medium at everything. She's like, I, I, I don't mean that as like a slight, but it's like not like she has like one huge advantage. She's just like good. I, I don't know. I like Kim. And Jeremy just seems like a great guy. And he's so good talking to the camera. His confessionals are by far the most engaging. Um. That that's one of the most underrated skills in survivors, just being good at confessionals. And Jeremy's had a bunch of good ones. And then I don't know if you saw, but a couple of episodes ago when Kim won immunity, it was her fifth career immunity win, which made her the all time leader for female contestants. That's awesome. She's a really well she's like a well, well rounded player and she's a physical threat that I think people don't always recognize how good of a physical threat she is. Yeah, you're right. I didn't even mention it, didn't even think about it. So I, th- I think those are, those are my favorites. I think, I think Kim is the front runner to win sneaky pick. Wow. Okay. Well, we'll do our superlatives a little later, but let's move on to the next segment, which is our archetype breakdown. Today, I want to break down. It was mentioned a million times on the episode, this double agent idea. Tony called himself a double agent. Kim then in a confessional called Tony a double agent. And then in another confessional, Denise called herself a double agent. Somehow everybody has double agents on the brain. So I, I have, I have a thought about that, which is I think a producer probably used that phrase with all of them. It could be. I know I've. So I've heard that the producers just ask questions and then they let the contestants answer, but then they don't engage in like follow up conversation because they're trying to keep the game kind of pure and not really reveal anything. 
I don't know how true that is. I mean, I, I I don't know. I read it on some blog post probably years ago. If anyone here is a double agent, who would it be? Yeah. That kind of thing. That's That seems like such... Like, if I was in an alliance of five in a nine-person tribe and someone was like, do you think anyone's a double agent? Oh, that would make me so paranoid. I would just assume something's happening. Right. I mean, they could, like, couch it or something. Yeah, I'm always curious if there are, like, leading questions like that that somehow get the players thinking about things. But... The producers have to ask about the game. They've got to talk about it. Yeah, I'm, I'm positive that they probably asked something that led all of them there. So I, I cut the Denise clip of her calling herself a double agent. And it's when Denise and Kim and Jeremy are at the water well. And they're making the plan with Jeremy, but their actual plan is to vote Jeremy out. I feel like I'm playing double agent because on the one hand, I'm working with Jeremy, Kim, Michelle, and Tony to vote out Ben. That's not really my plan. So we got us three, Michelle okay. yep. and Tony. For sure, Tony. For sure, Tony. Okay. Tony is for 100%. sure. 100%. 100%. Okay. We have to trust each other. Mm-hmm. And do it's this. That's all we have. That's all we have. I've tried to save Jeremy in the past, but I think it's time. Let's not overcomplicate it. Kim and I are both in cahoots together to blindside Jeremy tonight. So the double agent move by Denise and I guess by extension by Kim didn't work out for them. And I guess what I kind of want to talk about is this idea that you can play both sides or you can flip-flop or you can infiltrate and go undercover. And my main question is, is this too early in the game to be doing that? Because once you've kind of burned some people, you might never be able to cross those bridges again. And we're at we're at final nine. We're not, it's not like it's seven. It's not like it's five. It, there's a lot of game left to be played. I think it's a little early, but I think for in Kim's case, I think she's like kind of a woman without country. She's never really had a firm alliance from day one. And so I think it's almost more acceptable for her to bounce around, at least as as it's portrayed on TV. Like, I don't really think anyone is like Kim is my ride or die. Like, I don't think anyone's investing in her that way. So it's okay for her to move around. So I think it's possible for her. I think Denise is a little bit trickier because she made the big move um, pre-merge, obviously. But that feels like a different lifetime ago. You know, it's like, that's kind of like not enough. I, and I think that people um, consider her almost like a moral player. And so to undercut that at this stage of the game, I think actually hurts like her story for when she's trying to win at the end. I, I feel like Denise and Kim have each other, at least, who they trust. But that can almost come against you because some people were like, oh, is Denise close with Jeremy? And they knew that they weren't, but they know that Denise and Kim are close. One of the things that Tony does really well when he's doing all of this stuff is he doesn't love to be seen talking with people. So he'll, you right. know, he like talked to Michelle and he was like, Michelle, you go talk to Jeremy. I don't want to be seen talking to him. I think that's one of the things that kind of makes his like double agent infiltration strategy a little bit more successful is he's not, he doesn't have like a clear person that is his person out there. I mean, it would have been Sarah, but he just portrayed Sarah this episode. So whatever. (laughs) Right. It's funny. The idea of like having a person um, comes from Grey's Anatomy very specifically. It has like really infiltrated all of television. And it's funny that I think this game really started out with a lot of pairs of people being like, you're, uh, you know, like it was Jeremy and Natalie, Rob and Parvati, and then obviously the bigger poker alliance or whatever, but that like fell apart. There were a lot of duos. And I think it's kind of, right now there is sort of a question of like which duo will take control of the game. And I I don't know who it'll be, but like I think Nick and Ben are obviously up for grabs. Like both of them, I think, can like be swayed to do pretty much anything. Sarah is now looking for a new partner. 
maybe we have Kim and Denise, but I think there's a lot. I, I don't think the, any of these alliances are are particularly strong. Speaking of free agents, I feel like Sarah, you know, she had her Cops Are Us like partner alliance with Tony. And then in this episode, like weirdly threw him out of the bed. She was like, oh, Tony has no social game, but I have a social game. And we didn't talk about the fashion runway segment. That was oh excellent. My God. Loved it. <laughs> so, yeah. Give me your thoughts on the fashion segment. I thought that was really funny. I thought this was an interesting episode of trying to soften everyone, basically, of trying to like make them seem more um, human in a way or something. I don't know, particularly with Sarah, but I, I liked it. I mean, that was kind of the more, that was the um, sort of anomalous editing, right? Of the way they worked in the music and they had the fashion show and even Sarah being like, people think I'm this and I'm that, but I'm also really creative. I just thought that was different um, than usual. And it, it was interesting. I wondered if that was like something if that was also like in relation to how much gameplay there was from Tony, they kind of like, they sort of balanced that out with um, showing Sarah in that light. But yeah, it was different. I thought that was cool. I liked it. I, I like knowing more about what they do around camp. I'm like, you know, cause I'm a reality TV junkie. It's like, I love the sort of banal stuff of like what you do in the down moments. So I, that's, I also liked for that reason, um, seeing the group on the edge, go watch the sunset so that they could, so that Natalie could go under the um, shelter and find the clue and I, I, for that reason, like, I, I really like that stuff. Yeah, I agree 100%. I think that not only do I just enjoy watching camp life stuff like that because it can be entertaining, but it can also explain why some people want to work together and why some people right. don't, like why they just click. Like a lot of it's not even what, what you're seeing. It won't even be necessarily 100% strategic. It'll just be like people want to work with people that they like and they don't want to work with people that they don't like. And, you know, some people can be a bummer around camp and some people cannot. And so it's come up a few times here where Tony has said some things that have gotten on the nerves of people, either Jeremy or Sarah or whoever. And that could be the the kind of like the cracks in his game that maybe will ultimately lead to his downfall or will just be an obstacle for him to overcome. It's true. I do think that Sarah saying that, oh, Tony has no social game. My social game is great is a big misread on her part. I think the only reason Tony can play the way that he does is because people like him and he has a really good social game, even if they're butting heads a little bit. There's, there's no indication that she has a good social game. Like I I think people like her, but is she using her social skills to dominate the game or steer the game in any direction? She might be, but there's no evidence of it. Yeah. Well, I think that that's where one of these secret clips, if you look it up comes in, because it's like her and Kim have this great, like heart to heart chat. uh, But it's also notable that that clip ends up online and not in the actual episode. So, you know, Sarah gets some demonstration of her social game here as a part of the the fashion show thing that she does, because that right. seems well received, but maybe not as not the deep connection with Kim that she may or may not have, because maybe it doesn't matter. Uh, you know, who knows? Let's do our superlatives here. I know that we've probably talked a lot about some of our best moves and worst moves and stuff, but I think there's more to say. Juliet, what was your best move of the episode? Best move of the episode... <laughs> I think was Tony winning individual immunity. So he didn't even have to consider using his idol. I think that's like an underrated important thing. Um, It also repositions him having two wins in a row as like a challenge threat, but like in a good way, I think like, I think it makes people more aware of him as an all around player. And I think that's like almost underrated to this whole equation. It just gave him so much more latitude because he didn't have to worry about himself. Yeah, I agree. I think that one of the underrated ripple effects of winning immunity is it 
gives a player agency to make a big move. I feel like Tony probably doesn't do this double blindside 4-3-2 vote plan if he's not immune at Tribal because the worst case scenario is if people start whispering, imagine if it's another live Tribal or something and people realize that Tony is playing every side, it could be him going home or he'd have to at least use his idol to prevent himself from going home. But having that necklace means he has security. And so it's not just like, oh, I can't go home this week, but it enables you to do gameplay that you wouldn't do otherwise. Yeah, totally. I thought that I thought that was like a big part of why he was able to pull this off. I have for my best move. It's not really the best move of the episode, but it's something that's underrated. I think Michelle's lie about not having her 50-50 coin, but having this advantage for if and when she gets to the edge to get back into the game was pretty smart because it explains away why she has no fire tokens, but also isn't an advantage if that was what she actually had that would put a target on her or could be even used in the game. It literally can't be used until she goes to the edge of extinction. It seems like Tony bought it. It made sense that it cost four fire tokens when Tony has something that costs six. So like the price seems to match up, even though I don't know, maybe even the coin that she bought could have been an overpay. I mean, who knows? What is an overpay? An overpay? The worth of a fire token is very unclear to me. Well, I guess you could even say that if she had said no to the coin, then it's likely that the extortion advantage gets played on her because she has the most fire tokens. So by not having fire tokens, she took a target off her back, kind of, which again is probably another flaw with the fire tokens right now. No one knows the value and the value might even be (laughs) negative. Like oil. Uh, I also really liked when Michelle was talking to, when Nick was saying that people said that he looked like a vampire and Michelle was like, yes, you do kind of look like a vampire. I was like, Michelle, you kind of look like a vampire. They have like similar features. I thought that was really funny. That's kind of funny. I totally see it. I like that. Ben was like, Oh, did you shave your teeth like that? I know. Um, that was funny. I, I, I don't know if you caught that poor Nick though. I saw he was on Twitter kind of complaining about his edit a little bit. Cause there was also a scene where he got caught like sniffing his armpit basically. And they like <laughs> threw it in there really quickly. And he was just like, what the hell is this, guys? And I thought that was hilarious. I enjoyed it as well. Let's do worst moves. Juliet, you go. Worst move. I don't know. I don't think there was a real clear worst move. I I just think Sophie should have played played that idol. Yeah, I mean, like as we kind of said, I don't I don't know if she did anything wrong, except that maybe she should have been a little more vocal about it not being a vote split. She would have had more control over the votes if there's an idol played. This doesn't really play into this week's episode. I guess we'll see more of it next week. Another huge error was just Sarah so blindly trusting Tony. But we'll, we'll, you can save that for next week. <laughs> that could also be an error on literally every player in the game at this point, including players right. like Jeremy and Nick who needed to trust Jeremy this episode. It's like an overall game move is uh, don't trust Tony at all because he will eventually flip-flop. He will eventually betray you. This is his whole game. Just get him out. Yeah. I know it's really true, but yeah, I I, mean, I don't think anyone had anyone big mistakes. It's one of the reasons why Tony's week was so amazing is because he wasn't like exploiting any mistakes. I think that, I don't know, we might revisit this and say that this entire blindside by Tony was a mistake. It's like, you kind of wonder if he had just gone along with the plan to get Jeremy out. Maybe that's better for him long-term. Maybe it's not. It all depends on his ability to manage the fallout. I know that I would not love trying to scramble and manage that fallout and would surely fail at it. But Tony is the one person who I think might be able to succeed. So I don't know. That almost might be my worst move is like, Mm, even though it's the best for television, I really, I I don't know. It's like the more I run it through in my head, the more I'm like, okay, but how does he get out of this? Yeah. 
except for that it's you know if it were any other player it's like if jeremy had pulled this i'd be like dude you are screwed but it's tony and so i'm like well if there's someone who can get out of it tony can get out of it if anyone can it's him (laughs) all right so let's wrap it up with our front runners to win juliet you kind of said kim earlier but i'm going with kim i think that she's played a solid game she's tried to make moves that have been in some cases successful in some cases not but she has truly like survived. She has gotten really far without a clear partner in the game. And I think that she's winning people over. And I think she's poised in the next couple of weeks to take control. If she gets to the end, she has one of the better stories in the game, which is that she can say at the very beginning, I was on the outs of my tribe, the absolute outs. I had to scramble. I had no alliances and kind of week after week, she has had to do that. Like you're saying, survive and somebody playing from the bottom and getting to the top. That is always something that I think can win a jury vote or two. So she's one of those people who, if I'm still in the game, that's not someone I want to sit next to. Yeah, exactly. What about you? I think my front runner is it's still Tony. I've been saying it for the last few weeks. He just feels like he has the momentum It's just the same question that we've been asking is, can he manage to navigate in a tribe of players that he's basically all blindsided or backstabbed or somehow lost trust with? Normally, I would say no, except that it's Tony and I think he's going to do it. And if he gets to the end, he's just about an automatic winner. I cannot imagine he sits on final tribal council and doesn't win, even though there'll be some people who's bitter at him. It's a gigantic jury. It's an enormous jury with people who won't be bitter and will just respect his gameplay. That's true. There's like, because it's so big, there's enough, there's like enough room to hide. Right. And it kind of changes the whole dynamics of a season like this. When you have a jury that's shaping up to be 16 people big, And a lot of them are going to be players that you were never even on the same tribe with. It's not going to be all people like, oh, you betrayed them. They're bitter. They're not going to vote for somebody else. We've had so many winners that win basically because they're the least disliked person, but didn't necessarily play the most flashy or impressive game, but maybe played an understated game that's still impressive. Tony won't really have the problem of having a bunch of people who are like, you betrayed me, you blindsided me because he has a bunch of people he didn't blindside. They'll just be like, man, I watched those tribals. That was awesome. Good job by you, Tony. Good job by you. All right. I think that that is a good note to wrap it up on. And that's basically all the time we have. Juliet, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you to the audience for listening to The Pod Is Spoken. I'm Riley McAtee. That's Juliet Littman. Steve Allman is our producer today. We'll be back here on the Ringer Dish Feed next Thursday. We're getting toward the nitty gritty of this season. We're going to wrap it up. And we will see you soon. Mm-hmm.